Okay, we're in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 7. 1 Samuel 7, if you'll stand in honor of God's Word and join us here. Uh, those of you that are guests, we are about 13 sermons. This is Sermon 13 in 1 Samuel. When a nation needs revival, we're seeing what took place in the days of Israel and its history coming out of the book of Judges, out of the time of the Judges, uh, which was uh, a very wicked time, a very uh, spiritually... Uh, just a, a, a terrible time in Israel's history, morally a corrupt time. And that's what happens when a nation gets away from God. And that's what happened in Israel. And so we're seeing how God brought them back, um, even from the brink of disaster. And so we're reading that now in 1 Samuel chapter 7 and coming out of the time when Eli and his sons were, were abusing their office as a priest and even when they faced a difficulty uh, because the Philistines were attacking, they thought, well, let's, let's get the Ark of God, which was the most sacred item in the tabernacle, the Ark was. And so they, they figured that, well, if we have the Ark with us, that everything will be all right. Well, they were defeated. They were poor. They were sadly defeated, devastated. And uh, 34,000 men total died in two battles. And the Ark of God was taken uh, Hophni and Phinehas, the, the sons of Eli, were killed. Eli, the priest, gets word, falls backwards uh, off the gate from where he was sitting and died. And so, I mean, it was, it was just a terrible time. In fact, in one word, in one word, uh, Phinehas' wife, as she has a child right before she dies. I mean, man, it's just tragedy on top of tragedy. Before she dies, she says, let's call, call the son Ichabod, which means this, the glory of God has departed. So that, in short form, that's what was going on. How many think now they need revival? I mean, just that little snapshot right there shows you they desperately needed revival. Verse 1. And the men of Kirjath-Jerim came and fetched up the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab, in the hill and sanctified Eleazar his son to keep the ark of the Lord. And it came to pass, while the ark abode in Kirjath-Jerim, that the time was long, for it was 20 years. Evidently, um, if I could just pause here to say, evidently Shiloh, where the ark, where they had fetched the ark, um, evidently it was destroyed. It couldn't go back. As far as we know, now there, it may be still standing, but for, for the ark of God to be here 20 years indicates that something happened to Shiloh. And so here it is for 20 years in Kirjath-Jerim. All right, uh, back to verse two. And all the house of Israel, I want you to notice this, lamented after the Lord. Now that's good. They lamented after the Lord. If I forget, remind me to come back to that, all right? I think I'll remember, but just in case. And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If you do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you and Prepare your hearts unto the Lord. Wow, what a verse. Put away the strange gods. Prepare your hearts unto the Lord and serve him. Say the next word with me. 
only. Serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. I love it. Verse 4. Then the children of Israel did. Hey, anytime Israel gets it right, we ought to Let's rejoice. Then the children of Israel did put away Balaam and Ashtaroth and serve the Lord. Let's say it together again. Only. And Samuel said, gather all Israel to Mizpah and I will pray for you unto the Lord. And they gathered together to Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said, we have sinned against the Lord. There was confession and Samuel judged the children of Israel in Mizpah. Now notice verse seven. And when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel were gathered together to Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. I'm telling you, friends, we've got a real enemy. And when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the children of Israel said to Samuel, Cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us, that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a, a sucking lamb and offered it for a burnt offering holy unto the Lord. And Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel, and the Lord heard him. Amen. I'm glad they didn't do that ark thing again, aren't you? Yeah. This worked a lot better. And as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel, but the Lord thundered. <laughs> a great thunder on that day upon the Philistines. I, I've just got to wonder what was that like? I mean, God thundered on them. Ironically, Baal was the storm God. But here God <laughs> is showing who the real God was. He thundered on them and discomforted them. In other words, they were panicked, scared out of their ever-loving minds. And they were smitten before Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and smote them until they came to Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shen and called the name of it Ebenezer. Ebenezer. Here I raise my Ebenezer. You know, it's in a hymn that we sing. Ebenezer saying, hitherto hath the Lord helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and they came no more into the coast of Israel and the land and the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. And the cities, watch this now, watch the restoration that takes place after repentance that leads to revival. And the cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron even to Gath and the coast thereof did deliver did Israel deliver out of the hands of the Philistines and and if that was enough and there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. Well, the Amorites said, we better not mess with Israel. And Samuel judged. He was a spiritual leader. Israel all the days of his life. And he went from year to year in circuit to Bethel and Gilgal and Mizpah and judged Israel in all those places. And his return was to Ramah, for there was his house. And there he judged Israel. And there he built an altar unto the Lord. I'm telling you, that's revival. It's revival. 
Now, in chapter 8, revival's over, but hey, let's enjoy it right now in chapter 7. All right, here's our title. Turning to the one who can help. Turning to the one who alone can help. May God bless the reading of his word as you're seated. Turning to the one who can help. This past week, in many ways, has been a reminder that we need to turn to the Lord for help. Came in the office on Friday afternoon and Brother Greg was out in the uh, foyer area here on the second floor right outside the offices and there was a, a lady that he was there and trying to help her and dealing with her and, and she was very distraught and a set of circumstances that after she left work and she was still in her uh, work clothes, here's what she did. She determined to do this. This is what she told us and I just happened on the scene and got to pray with them and such but Here's what she said. I determined after I left work, I was just going to go to the first church that I could find that was open. I'm glad she came here. I believe Brother Greg was able to be a great help to her. And I don't know if the dear lady was here this morning, but, but she certainly needed the Lord's help. This morning, chapter 8 of Matthew, we saw three different individuals who saw a leper. For those of you that weren't here in the auditorium, we saw a leper who came to Jesus and Jesus touched him when nobody else wanted to touch him. And he healed him. We saw a centurion who had a servant that needed to be healed and Jesus healed him without even going to his house. All he did was give the command because he's got the authority of heaven behind him. He is God and he commanded that this man would be healed and this young man and he was healed. And then we learned about uh, Peter's mother-in-law who was healed from a fever and he, she got up off the bed and, and began to help and to serve those that were gathered in the house. They turned to the Lord for help and many others, the text told us, came to the Lord for help. Friday night, we gathered in prayer. Uh, the men did, and we turned to God for help on behalf of our church family, on behalf of our nation, and just prayed because we need the Lord's help. Amen. Eli and his sons were evil and wicked, and they turned the people of God away from God because of their actions. And, but here is Samuel, and he's pointing Israel to the Lord. And we're going to see as we build back through the text and work back through the text a little bit that he calls the name of that stone Ebenezer, which means stone of help. Because hitherto, hitherto hath the Lord helped us. Hitherto. Up to this point. In fact, Brother Step Barber's message was out of Psalm 13 and how that God has helped us in the past and he's going to help us in the future, so he'll help us today. Turn to the God who can help. You see, uh, Israel's choices, just like your choices and my choices, when they're made out of God's will, they take us far from God and leave us in a desperate and difficult situation. What a, what a contrast. Would you consider this here as we get started tonight? What a contrast between chapter 4 and chapter 7. What a contrast where they're thinking, let's take the ark of God in, uh, that chapter and, and all the fallout of that poor poorly made decision, the decision made without prayer, without seeking God and just making an assumption. What a contrast between chapter four and chapter seven. Here's the contrast. It's a contrast between what happens when a nation truly repents and when they just try to figure things out on their own. You see, we need to turn to God in repentance because he truly is our, the only one who can help us. 
We need to turn to God for in repentance. As you uh, look back at the text again, um, I want you to notice this first of all. Israel needed more than just an emotional response to get things right with God. Now, when we're confronted with sin, and, and maybe, maybe even just recently you've been, you've been confronted with your own sinfulness, um, then, then perhaps it has stirred you emotionally. But can I say to you tonight, it's going to take more than an emotional trip to the altar to get things right with God. And, and, and I'm glad for everybody that would make an emotional trip to the altar. I'm not, I'm, please don't misunderstand me there. I think that's right. I'm, I've had uh, times as well, just like I imagine every believer has, where you're getting things right with God and you're struck with it and it puts you on your knees and you're, and you're crying, even maybe physically crying, and, and you're asking God to forgive you. But, but it needs to be more than just an emotional response. Look back at uh, chapter 6 and verse 19. I want you to see something here that is a contrast, a contrast between these two. Chapter 6 and verse 19, it says in the latter part, just look at the very last part of the verse. This is after the Lord. Well, he smote, you would need to know this, God smote the people that looked into the ark because that was a sacred, a sacred piece of furniture of the temple. And it was wrong that they, that they would even see the ark. God told... God said the ark was supposed to be even covered, not even seen, but they set it up like it was some relic that they could look to. They weren't supposed to do that, let alone look into it. And so when they did, um, the, it says here that, that 50,000 and threescore and 10 men died. I mean, that was a, a tragedy that, that that many died. And notice at verse chapter, I'm sorry, chapter six and verse 19, it says this, and the people lamented. They mourned because the Lord had smitten many of the people with a great slaughter. They lamented, they mourned, they grieved because the Lord um, slaughtered, killed many of them, judged many of them, chastened them. They, they lamented right there. But I'm saying to you tonight that there's a difference between lamenting and lamenting after the Lord. Okay, now look back at chapter 7 in verse uh, number 2 in the latter part of it. It says, and all the house of Israel, this is 20 years later. Now, this is significant right here. 20 years later, it says, not just that they lamented, but they lamented after the Lord. They mourned after God. In other words, it's not just that they mourned and they were upset because of their circumstances, but they, were, they mourned because they realized I'm not right with God and I want a right relationship with God. If you're only at a place of lamenting and you're not at a place of lamenting after the Lord, you're not going to see biblical change. Does everybody listen to this? I think when we're confronted with our sinfulness, sometimes we lament because we don't like how now the circumstances are around us, but we're not lamenting after the Lord. And what we've got to do is get to a place where we're lamenting, mourning after God. Brother Brian Wells preached Friday night and, and uh, talking to one of the gentlemen afterwards on Saturday. And, and he's, he mentioned that I uh, thought we were just going to get a slap on the wrist, but we got beat up Friday night. Isn't that right, man? Those of you that were there. And Brother Brian uh, preached a, a fantastic message that helped us all that, that was about unfaithfulness and that we need to see our sin against God, not just as wrong, but we need to see it as unfaithfulness. 
And he compared that to marriage because Paul did in Romans chapter 7. And, and, he, and he said this, every act of sin, large and small, doesn't matter, is an act of unfaithfulness against our God. And we don't like it. We don't like even the thought of, of our, your spouse being unfaithful to you. It's hurtful. Well, think about that. And that's what he preached. I'm not going to try to preach his message, but I'm telling you this right on. We need, we need that sense, though, to realize my sin is a, an offense against the holy God. And I need to lament after the Lord. All right, now let's, let's see where that led them then, okay? Do you see the difference? Before we move on, I just want to make sure everybody sees that. Lamenting versus lamenting after the Lord. Okay. Here's the difference. It's the difference between sorrow, worldly sorrow, and godly sorrow. Worldly sorrow comes because you got busted. And now you lost your car. You got busted and you lost your keys. You got busted and you lost your phone. You got busted and you lost your job. You got busted and, you, and now you, you're, you're in a different dwelling place. Are you following me? You're, you, you're lamenting that. And that could be, that can be a, a worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow, Paul says, would still need to be repented of because it's still self-centered. But a godly sorrow is a sorrow that says, I have offended God and I need to get things right with God. And Paul says that the godly sorrow worketh repentance unto salvation, not to be repented of, but the, world, the sorrow of the world worketh death. He said, for behold this, he's talking to the church in Corinth, behold this self-same thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sort. What carefulness it wrought in you. In other words, he's saying this, listen, the sorrow, when you got down to that level of sorrow, it, it led you to a place of being careful because you realize I need to be careful about the way that I'm living because I've offended God and I want to be right with God. Sorrow after a godly sort. Genuine repentance involves more than just an emotional trip to the altar. Genuine repentance involves more than just an, inner, an emotional interaction with the, with the person that is confronting you, whether it is your spouse or whether it is your parent or whether it is your teacher or whether it is your spiritual leader. I mean, you, you, might, you might shed some tears there because you've been caught, but wait a minute, it's got to go further than that, and I hope it doesn't take 20 years. They got to the place now where they wanted the Lord. They realized their unfaithfulness to God. So, what, what do you think was going on in this 20 years? I, I wondered that as well and, and thought about that. I wonder what's going on in these 20 years. Perhaps, I don't know, the, the Bible's silent there, so I'm not going to make too much conjecture in the sense of assuming things, but Samuel is a godly man. Maybe Samuel was traveling around and preaching. Maybe he was looking for some genuine signs of repentance. And so I don't, I don't know for sure, but I do know this as we come to verse number three, Samuel spake unto all Israel. So after they lamented after the Lord, when he, when he realized, when he saw, okay, they're real serious about this. I'm asking you tonight, are you real serious about it? Then it says that he urged them and spake to them, preached to them. Like, I really want to try to preach here tonight because it may be this exact same thing's going on tonight that God's speaking to somebody right here to say, listen, you've got some things in your life that are not right. And it wasn't like Israel was not serving the Lord. They were serving the Lord, but the problem was they were serving the Lord and Baal and Ashtaroth. They weren't serving God, here's the key word, only. Only. So what did Samuel say to do? He said to, say, to do this, if you do return unto the Lord with what? 
all your hearts. Can I ask you tonight, does God have, God have all of your heart? Would you be honest here tonight? Listen, my, my point, my intent tonight as a preacher at any time is never just to give a history lesson. It's not a history lesson. Uh, this, this is the Bible being preached directly to you where you are, which has already been directly preached to me in my personal study. You, you understand what I'm saying. But are you serving God with all of your heart? Are you serving him with all of your heart? He says here that you're to serve the Lord with all of your heart. Turn to him, return to God with all of your heart. And, and, and then he says this, if you're going to do that with all of your hearts, here, here is what it's going to look like. Put away the strange gods in Astaroth. Baal and the strange gods. So evidently, well, it says they did put away Balaam and Ashtaroth. So evidently they were serving Baal and Ashtaroth. They were. You know, um, in Genesis 35, as God told Jacob to go back to Bethel, remember that? They were on their way back to Bethel. He stopped off in, in a place called Shechem and stayed there longer than he should have. But then when he finally got things right with God... Isn't it amazing? You know, God can deal with us about things and we do, we get things right with God to a point that we're comfortable with. Well, it's quiet in here tonight, isn't it? We get things right with God to a point that we're comfortable with, but yet we still know there's some gods in our life. False gods, idols. And, and Jacob said to his family, okay, it's time. Get rid of the idols. I know you got them. I know you've got them. He knew. He knew they had them. I don't know why he hadn't dealt with this before, but he knew they, that they had them and he had not dealt with it. They had not dealt with it. Joshua, as he's getting ready to, to depart from the scene, he says to them, listen, you've got to make up your mind here. If God is God, then serve him. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Are you going to serve the gods in Egypt? Are you going to serve the gods of Canaan? You've got to make up your mind here. And, and tonight... Hey, listen, I know I'm preaching to Southwest Baptist Church, but I'd be pretty naive to sit here or stand here and think everybody here is just serving God only. I thought about it this way at church tonight. Can we, can we, can we just really take this to heart and not play games about it? And, but, but just really let God search our hearts. And if you're in the clear, then you don't, you don't have anything to worry about. But if, if, there's, if there's hidden sin in your life or, or you're, you're serving the Lord because, I mean, you're here, you're here on a Sunday night and that, that's wonderful. I thank God for that. But I know what it's like firsthand to be in church on Sunday night and still be serving my own self. I wonder tonight if it'd be all right if we took your phone and kind of hooked it up to our system and put every, every site that you've been to over the last week. I wonder if you'd be okay with that if we put that up on the screen. I wonder if it'd be all right. Any volunteers? Okay, oh, I got a volunteer from a child back there that doesn't have a phone, all right? <laughs> I wonder if we played every song that you've listened to here this week in your car or on your device. I wonder if it'd be okay if we just went ahead and played that for everybody to hear. Or if wonder, I wonder if you'd get nervous about it. You say, preacher, you're preaching to a Baptist church, Baptist people, the God-fearing people, people that are in church that just sang about, uh, about, well, what did we sing tonight? About he loves me and blessed assurance. Surely they wouldn't have anything else going on. I wonder if there's any Baal or Astaroth idols here. 
Well, what was Baal and Asheroth? Well, we need to know a little bit of history to be able to preach a little bit, right? Baal and Asheroth were wicked gods and goddesses. Asheroth in particular was the female goddess and, and uh, Asheroth is plural. And so there was these deities, gods and goddesses. And listen to this. The gods themselves were immoral, let alone the people. And they had, I, I honestly, I can't even go into detail as to what went on in these temples, so-called. Because there was temple prostitution of heterosexual type and homosexual type in these temples. There was child sacrifice. They did not have regard for the, unborn, for the, for the children. There's licentiousness, immorality. And listen, it was not just the people of Canaan that were engaging in gross fornication and adultery and homosexuality and all the other perversion that was there. It was not it was not just the pagans that were doing that. It was God's people, Israel. Because it was easy to serve Baal and Asheroth because, you know, they, they weren't as jealous as what Jehovah was because Jehovah said, you're going to serve me and me alone. All the other gods, they were kind of loose. I mean, you could make them mad. But pretty much they were open to whatever you wanted to do. And you could have a multiplicity of gods if you wanted to, whatever was going to advantage you. I'm telling you, it was easier for Israel to serve Baal and Asheroth than it was to serve God exclusively. Because if they got real serious about serving God, there's a bunch that had to go out of their life. And I'm saying to you tonight that if you're going to get real serious about serving the Lord, there's probably some things that are going to have to go in your life. If you're going to have revival, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just asking tonight, are you lamenting after God? Are you lamenting after the Lord? Do you really want to have a right relationship with God? Then there's probably some things of even a sexual nature that are going to have to get out Get out, it says here that they were to, to put them out, put them away. It means get rid of. It means this to desert. It means to abandon. It means this to, to totally be done with them. Amen. We're living in a culture that is obsessed with sexuality. And it's not like we're in a safety zone right here within a church family. Because the same sensuality that's out there can sure be in here as well. Disguised by church clothes. Disguised by church attendance. But all the while engaged and at least watching. Videos through your phone that show up on your social media accounts, whatever it may be, whether Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, or through means of TikTok or YouTube, 
You're, you could be sitting here in a church service because you know you need to be serving the Lord. But you've also got some ties to Ashtaroth. Talking sensually. Texting sexually. Going to movies. Openly or secretly. Doesn't matter. I get World Magazine and it gives a list of the top ten, the box whatever, you know what I'm talking about, top 10 movies. See if I can remember this. Four rated R, five are PG-13, one is G. I don't think Paw Patrol will mess you up. <laughs> but all the others are laced with violence, sexual scenes, and language. And they rate it 10 being worse. There's a lot of nines on that chart. There's a lot of fives on that chart. You say, well, preacher, that's just, that's just worldly people that go to those things. It's also attended by worldly Christians or viewed in their home or viewed in their car, or viewed at some coffee shop. How bad do we want revival in our land? Because we may say, man, all this wickedness in America, I mean, I'll tell you, it is just wicked. Well, what are you endorsing by what you're watching or liking? Or what you're posting? Or what you're texting? Or what you're tweeting? You following me? Yeah. Or the music that you're listening to. Brother Brian, I think, nailed it. Maybe it's your dad, Brother Brian, that said it this way. The music of our day and time is audio pornography. It's audio pornography. I could not in this company read the lyrics to a lot of the songs that these young people may be listening to or a lot of the adults are listening to. I'd be embarrassed. You'd say, preacher, stop. Don't say those words. Don't even name the name of the groups, let alone the music videos that are so raunchy and degrading to women. And here's a whole society saying women are being abused, women are being abused. Well, look what's selling for entertainment. Oh, but that's just entertainment. I mean, it's just video games, it's just movies, it's just music. It, it has no bearing on a society, it feeds the brain. And it's what comes out in the action. It's no wonder that there's that men that, that abuse and use women because, because that's all they've been feeding their brain with through all what's, what sells. 
I, I nearly had to stop. I'm, I'm reading through Sodom, uh, slouching towards Sodom, uh, the book by Robert Bork, and, and he's in the section on, on music. And, and this, was written, this was written during the 90s. And I nearly had to stop because I, I couldn't take the, the filth that was there. And I even went in, a, a group of concerned uh, believers went in and, and met with, with uh, Time Warner and, and said, Would, well, let's distribute. And they distributed the, the, uh, the, the lyrics to a song, I think it was by Nine Inch Nails, I'm not sure, but they distributed that and they said, gentlemen, would you please read the lyrics to this song? And they refused to do it because they knew how twisted it was. Promoting rape and violence and murder and mayhem. And you know, all the time they're saying, well, we got to sell it because it's making a bunch of money. It's Ashtaroth. Baal and Ashtaroth worship in America. You say, oh, we don't have any idolatry. We don't have any idols here. And idols, an idol is anything you have to check with before you do the will of God. An idol is anything you devote yourself to more than you devote yourself to God. I wonder if there's some idolatry going on right here among God's people. There was in, in Samuel's day. There, there was in, in Jacob's day. There was in Joshua's day. Are, are we suddenly at a place where, no, we're free from that. Oh, no, I'm afraid, friend, that there would be even alcohol that would be here among uh, people. And I'm just saying tonight, if you really want to see revival, you got to pour the stuff out. You may have to cancel your subscription to whatever direct TV or whatever other means it is. I'm just asking you tonight. I'm just actually saying to you tonight, if that's really getting your life in such a twisted way in your mind and it's showing up in the way that you dress or it's showing up in what you listen to, it's showing up in the way that you look at others and the way that you act. And even if you say, well, it's not doing those things, it's just a matter of time until it's having an effect on you. And I wonder tonight if maybe you just need to delete some apps or delete some people or, or block your phone and maybe just go phoneless for a while or go no technology for a while. Maybe you just ought to go on a fast from the television and a fast from the internet and a fast from your phone. And then you come to church service and maybe you'd just be serving Jesus only. Amen. Samuel said, you got to get rid of Bell and Ashtaroth. Because God deserves to be served exclusively. If you're being dishonest, you're not serving God only. You're also serving yourself. Listen to me tonight. If you're being dishonest, you're trying to hide something. Number one, you're not going to be successful because the Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. If you're being dishonest, you're trying to hide something that you need to confess and you need to forsake, then listen, beloved, this is God in his word speaking to you directly tonight to say to you, it's time to forsake that. It's time to get it right. And it's time to leave it behind. It's time to get it totally cut out of your life and add accountability to your life and, and get some things right with God and replace it with a love life with God and, and, get, and move on from that so it doesn't bring you down. If you're harboring bitterness or anger, I mean, we've talked about lust and we've talked about other things. Hey, it could be a number of things that's keeping you from really serving God only. Then you got to forsake it. And serve the Lord and fear Him in truth and sincerity.
just asking you tonight. What's really going on in your life? Well, thankfully, they got some things right with God. I mean, genuinely. They got the junk out. And they got right with God. And when they started getting right with God, that's when they started meeting some more resistance. Because the Philistines heard that they gathered together. Can I say to you tonight, the Philistines know that we're gathering together tonight. And the Philistines don't want us to gather together no more than they want the people of God to gather together then. Are you listening to me? I, I don't know, but maybe they said, you shall not assemble. Because they heard they did assemble, and they said, this is a problem, we're going to shut this down. California style. You shall not assemble. I'm sorry, we're called to assemble. Amen. They assembled. And the Philistines heard it. And they were coming after them. And the Israelites, who had things right with God, they, they said to Samuel, Samuel, please pray for us. And Samuel, I'm kind of skipping over parts that really need to be emphasized. He, he gathered them to Mizpah. They poured out water before God. I don't know exactly all that that's symbolic of, but maybe it's this. Our lives are going to be poured out to God. They were fasting. He offered the sacrifice. I mean, really, they had quite a service. They got things right with God. And then they heard the Philistines were going to crack down on them and make things hard on them. And, and listen, when you determine, I'm going to... I'm going to do right, then don't be surprised when your friends forsake you, your so-called friends. Don't be surprised when even at the workplace, they ridicule you and maybe even put pressure on you to accept their way of life. Don't be surprised, beloved, because the enemy that was fighting against Israel's right, being right with God then is the same enemy that's behind the scenes today working against the people of God that's wanting to do things right. Don't be surprised. But here's what do. Go to a Samuel. Go to somebody that, would say, that you could say, hey, please pray for me. I'm in a battle right here. I'm in a battle. There's a, there are men that are fighting against pornography and, and, so, and some of them I, I interact with and text and, and, and sometimes here just recently an individual said, hey, preacher, pray. I'm in a battle right now. That's what we've got to do. I thank God that he had the presence of mind and the desire to say, I want to stay right with God. So preacher, would you please pray? So that's what I did. And then I think also this, dear friends, that we need to be praying for one another because the Philistines and Satan, I mean in particular, he's got no regard for who you are and he's got no regard for who your family is and he's got no regard for what this church is. He'd love to bring you down so we need to be praying for one another. And Samuel pleaded with God and he pled with God and he interceded on their behalf. I might remind you tonight that there's a great high priest named the Lord Jesus Christ who is interceding on your behalf and he's there for you and he's ever interceding to help you get through the hard times when you're overwhelmed in life. He intercedes for you. And then the Bible tells us that, that God thundered on them and they took that as a bad omen. They may not have been off in their theology in a lot of areas, but they got at least this. We're in a heap of trouble. We better get out of here. But they couldn't get out of there quick enough because the Israelites came on them and took them out. It's wonderful in this sense that when the people of God get things right with God, God helps them come back restored. 
Maybe things weren't like they were, but they were certainly better than they were. And they got land back and they got their peace back. And for many years, as you saw in the latter part of the text, it just simply says this kind of in a summary type fashion before it moves on to the next scene. It said, Samuel served the Lord. He served as a judge of Israel. He gave them spiritual guidance. I believe he traveled around in a circuit preaching style and telling them what God wanted and helping them make things right. And then when they had a controversy, helping them through that. I don't know what all went on at Miss Putton, Gilgal and, and these places, but I, I think it was the word of God was being preached to them and taught to them and, and it was helping their life and they lived at peace for a long time. They had revival. And so can you. If you won't just lament, but you'll lament after the Lord and say, I want to do whatever it takes to have a right relationship with God. If you draw nigh to God, He's promised to draw nigh to you and to cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and, and not to be of a double mind, but to say, I'm all in in serving God. I'm telling you, God will meet you right there, friend. I'm seeing Him doing it in some lives, that are in, even in this auditorium right now, some people that were away from God that have come back and saying, listen, I'm done with Baal and Asheroth. I want to serve the Lord and serve the Lord only. And God is restoring their marriage and has restored their marriage and restored their relationship with their children and restored respect and restored position of service and, and restored many things. I realize there may still be some cities. Are you following my, the figurative nature of this in a sense? There may be some cities that still aren't yet taken back, but they've got a lot more back than what they'd lost. Why? Because they repented and turned to the only one who could help. And he set up that stone and he called the name of that stone, Ebenezer, stone of help. And then he explained, because hitherto, and I like that word hitherto, it means this, up to this point, God has helped us. You know, we can say that. Hitherto, up to this point. You know what's real good about that? If he's helped us up to this point, he'll help us as we continue on. Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. Well, how did he help them? He helped them by confronting them with their sin. He helped them even by removing Eli. He helped them by removing Hophni and Phinehas. He helped them by chastening them. Sometimes the help of God comes in the hand of his chastening. But he helps us by that chastening. We need it. I thank God that he loves us enough to chasten us. Then he'll help us by providing and he'll help us by giving us leadership. And he'll help them even eventually by giving them a king named David. Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. Well, I believe as Southwest Baptist Church and the families represented here and the individuals represented here tonight, we can say the same thing. Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. You got to turn to the one, the only one who can really help and serve him. And the key word, Only. What has more of your affection than God? What needs to change for you to serve God only? In a word, tonight, God's calling you to repentance. 
calls for humility to say, God, I've been wrong. They confessed and they got things right with God. And then they were on a brand new path. Dear God, tonight, I pray for Southwest Baptist Church and the members of the church. You know the true state of our hearts before you. And you know, dear God, where there is secret sin. And I thank you, dear God, that you love us enough to call us to serve you and you alone. You call on us to forsake Baal and Ashtaroth and anything that would be a hindrance to a right walk with you. I pray for the children today that are growing up that the seeds of rebellion could be in them. Dear God, I pray that they would forsake that and learn to serve you and you only. I pray for the young people here tonight, the young adults here tonight, dear God, that you'd help them not to live in a double life where they're living one way at church and another way when they're with their friends. Oh God, I pray that you'd help them to come to a place of repentance and have godly sorrow. I pray for adults here tonight that are leading families. I pray for adults here tonight that are single adults. I pray for retirees tonight, dear God, lest we should dismiss the presence of sin at any stage of life, oh God, would you help us, search us, oh God, help us to come to you by way of genuine repentance that leads to right action, radical measures, and a cleansing, oh God, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together here tonight.